For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope that he has called you to, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards all of us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Before we get into our scripture passage that Tara read just a moment ago, I'd like to share with you one paragraph from what we call our Vision 2025. You'll see it on the screen. It's actually the last paragraph of this approximately page-long vision. It reads this way, every person at River Oaks recognizes that spiritual growth and effective outreach are only accomplished through God's enabling power. An increasing dependence upon the Holy Spirit through prayer characterizes the church and those who call River Oaks home. An increasing dependence upon the Holy Spirit through prayer. We express this dependence often by quoting a theme verse for the church, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Is this true of our church? Is our church being characterized by an increasing dependence upon the Holy Spirit through prayer? I think so. To a degree. I say that especially after being in the prayer meeting this past Wednesday night, and it was such a beautiful sense of God's presence among us. But I see people praying. I see particularly among our youth, more people praying, reaching out, the Lord doing wonderful, wonderful things. But I'll ask you this morning, is it, is it true of your life? Is your life characterized by an increasing dependence upon the Holy Spirit through prayer? I think that's God's will for each one of us this morning, and I'd like to begin a series of short messages today on experiencing renewal, and in, today in particular, praying for, for a deeper, greater, richer spiritual understanding as we look at the passage in Ephesians 1 that was read just a moment ago. Now, someone may ask the question, what do you mean by renewal? We hear about revival. Revival often refers to a, a great work of the Holy Spirit that's done among a, a group of people and sometimes shapes a church or a community, a culture, maybe even shaping history. The word renewal is used more often in reference to uh, individuals in the New Testament and has to do with our continual spiritual growth. Now, someone may ask, why would we need renewal if, as the Bible says, we are already 
new creatures in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Why do we need renewal? Because we live in a world that constantly works against our spiritual progress. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 2, the Apostle Paul was clearly writing to Christians. In fact, he addresses them in this chapter as brothers. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Have you ever been, been swimming in the ocean when you could feel that there was an undertow pulling, uh, pulling your, your feet under the water? Maybe in a nice summer, hot summer day, you've been in the ocean swimming, maybe, maybe floating on some floats or body surfing. Maybe you're out in the water uh, watching, uh, uh, playing with some young, young kids or having fun in the water. And you've been out there 10, 15 minutes, and you, you look back to where you left your, your beach chairs or your beach towels, and you all of a sudden realize you're 20, 30 yards down the, down the beach. The current has pulled you down, and you didn't even notice it. Life in this world can be like that. This world seeks to conform us to its own desires and pleasures and lusts and greed and love for material things. It can shape us. It exerts a pull on us as we live in this world. And we need a greater pull in order to be transformed by the Holy Spirit through this process Paul calls renewal, and in particular, the renewal of the mind. Paul talks about renewal elsewhere. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he acknowledges his body's wearing out. Paul had been beaten and battered, and he knew he was aging. He said, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. It's being renewed day by day. There's ongoing spiritual renewal taking place. That's why we're encouraged. That's why we have hope. That's why we don't lose heart. We're continually being renewed spiritually. He writes to the Ephesians elsewhere, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. The pull of this world can be very, very, very strong. But there is one whose power is much greater than the power exerted on us by the world. As John would write, the apostle, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He will lead us in paths of righteousness and ongoing renewal. He is the Holy Spirit. He is the great orchestrator of our spiritual growth. As we say in our vision, an increasing dependence upon the Holy Spirit through prayer characterizes the church and those who call River Oaks home. Is that going to be true, you and me, this year? I want to talk about that renewal as we look at Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is praying for spiritual growth, uh, growing spiritual maturity for believers. Now, it's very, very clear. He's writing specifically to Christians. He addresses them in this chapter to the saints who are Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. 
when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. In other words, I've heard of your genuine faith. I've heard of your growing love. You're believers. You're born again. You have the Holy Spirit. And so I pray for you even more. I pray for your spiritual maturity. It's a very interesting thing to look at the prayers of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. They're found in a number of his letters. They're found in the first chapter of Ephesians, of Philippians, of Colossians, of 2 Thessalonians. Every one of those chapters has two or three verses of prayer by the Apostle Paul. And they all deal with growing spiritual maturity for believers. These prayers inspired by the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to read, to learn. We're going to look at some of them as we're looking at at this one today. So he's praying for spiritual growth for believers. In fact, the, the majority of Paul's prayers in Scripture are for the spiritual growth of believers. What sometimes he refers to as this, this renewing, this ongoing renewal. How specifically does he pray? He goes on in Ephesians chapter 1. He prays for the spiritual illumination of believers. He's not praying that Jesus would do more for you than he's already done, but that you would have a deeper understanding of what he's already done. It's important to understand that. He's not praying for Jesus to do more for you than he's already done. He's praying for you to have an understanding, a deeper understanding of that which Christ has already done for you. He prays this way, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. That's, it's not that you don't already know him. You do. You're believers. He, he calls them saints. He says, but I'm praying for greater spiritual insight, greater spiritual illumination. I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to lead you forward in the knowledge of him. This is a call away from conformity to the world, away from spiritual complacency or apathy. It's a call into an ever-growing, personal, Holy Spirit-guided and empowered relationship with Him that grows throughout your life. You can grow closer to God as you age and should we should grow closer to God as we age. As we often say in our church, we're growing to know him better and love him more. That's what we long for. So Paul's praying for spiritual illumination. How, how specifically does he pray for spiritual illumination? He goes on to pray this way. He prays for believers to know what God has done for them. And he, and he notes three things. Number one, that you would know the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he's called you. Now, we may think, don't we already know that? Don't we already know that our future hope is heaven? We have eternal life. We're going to heaven. Don't we already know this? Yes. But I don't think we, we fully realize, perhaps never will fully realize in this life, all that God has done for us and what it means for us. The more fully we can grasp 
what Jesus Christ has really accomplished for us, what he's, he's done for us, the more we'll be filled with hope, joy, gratitude, steadfastness, despite what we face in this life. Paul's praying I, I, for spiritual illumination. May your spiritual eyes be open to know the hope to which he's called you. Secondly, to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, what is the glorious inheritance of Christ in the saints? I'm not sure, frankly. Not sure I know. I do know that a few verses uh, earlier, Paul had prayed for them. Verses 13 and 14, he said, he, he spoke to them. He didn't pray for them in those verses. He noted that they had been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. This fullness of what Jesus has done, I don't think we'll know in all its completeness in this life. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that in the ages to come, God will be unveiling for us, unfolding for us the riches of his kindness and his grace in Christ Jesus. There's so much more to know and understand, to grasp and realize regarding what Jesus has accomplished for us. Paul prays for spiritual illumination, to really know the depth of the hope to which you're called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then thirdly, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. God's power, he's talking about, is the power that God has demonstrated toward us in providing for our salvation and in raising Christ from the dead. Paul talks about it again in Ephesians 3 and verse 20 when he says, Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. Now, Paul's talking about spiritual growth here, spiritual maturity. How much can you imagine regarding your own spiritual growth and maturity, the steadfastness of your walk with God, your love for God, your grasp, your understanding of spiritual realities? How much of that do you think you can grasp in this life? How much can you ask God to do in your spiritual life? Paul says God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or think, all we can ask or imagine. He's setting the bar extremely high for spiritual growth, for spiritual maturity. And he's saying God wants to do in you more than you could have imagined. You don't have to live a complacent, just-getting-by Christian life, hoping you'll go to heaven. He wants you to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, His presence, His power, and to go out into the world with that power and reach other people. Paul's prayer is for spiritual illumination that God fill us with the knowledge of this hope to which He's called us, the, the, and the knowledge of the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the knowledge of his immeasurable power toward us, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. And then Paul, as he draws his prayer to close, he, he points to Jesus. And he 
he notes that all of this is for Christ. All of this is because of Christ. As he begins this whole section, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All of this is because of Jesus, for Jesus, and because we're in him. All that God has done for us, he has done because Jesus Christ lived on this earth. He, the Son of God, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, laid down his life on the cross and shed his sinless blood to redeem us. Through our faith in him, we are placed in Christ. And Paul's prayer is for us to know more of what Christ has done for us. So I would say to you, learn this prayer. Ephesians 1, 16 through 19. Learn it. Pray it for yourselves. Pray it for your children, those of you have children, those of you have grandchildren, pray it for your grandchildren. I pray it for you. I pray it for us. I pray it for our church when preparing on Sundays that God would give us this spiritual illumination. We experience renewal when we pray for spiritual illumination and understanding. Let me stack, step back for a moment and, and share just a few thoughts now on ongoing spiritual renewal. I think we, we experience ongoing spiritual renewal. Number one is we seek to know God as he is revealed in his word. The scripture is our foundation, our rock. We build our lives upon the truth that God has given us in his holy word. He reveals himself to us through his word. It's the foundation, the rock. And I, I, I do hope that you'll make this a year of seeking to know God better and love him more through his word. That you'll learn his word and love his word and meditate on his word. You'll redeem the time when you're waiting around uh, uh, on an appointment somewhere by trying to memorize a few verses of scripture. Maybe these prayer verses that we're talking about so you can use them in prayer for yourself, for your household, your family, your friends. Seek to know God as he's revealed in his word. Secondly, allow the truths of his word to shape our prayers. The Bible is the greatest prayer book that you will ever own. It's filled with prayers that are already inspired by the Holy Spirit. I would especially point you to Paul's prayers in Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, Philippians 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. These tremendous prayers and learn. But not only the prayers of the Bible. As Robert Murray McShane, he was a Scottish pastor who died in the 1800s, known for his devotional life, his walk with God. He would say to his church, turn the Bible into prayer. In other words, when you're reading the psalm that says, blessed is the one who's uh, delight is in the law of the Lord. Blessed is one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Pause and pray. God, make me that person. Make me that person who delights in your word. Make me that person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but who walks in your ways. Turn the Bible into prayer. I was reading uh, this week, I was reading uh, through the Gospel of Matthew, and I was in Matthew chapter 5, in a, a familiar passage to many of you, the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, and so forth, and I was reading, and I, I was struck with the thought I should stop and start praying these verses. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
And I began to pray, Lord, make me more humble, more meek this year. And I began praying this for our children. Beth and I have two kids. And between them, they have four little kids, two one-year-olds, a five and a seven. I began praying for these kids to, to grow up with godly meekness and humility. Then I continued, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I pray for these children, Lord, that they will grow with a hunger, with a thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Lord, make them merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Lord, make them pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. May they be peacemakers in this world. And then I got to the next one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I said, wait a minute now, Lord. I'm not sure I want to be persecuted. I don't think you want us to pray to be persecuted, do you? I don't think we need to seek out persecution. But what I think we need to pray for is the willingness to be faithful to God and to share his word despite any persecution may, that may come our way, that we would never back down from it out of fear uh, of, of what the devil might do or, or what those who oppose might do. Lord, make us strong to stand for you. The point is we can take much of the Bible that we read and apply it by turning it into prayer. Number three. We can experience ongoing spiritual renewal as we live in fellowship with independence upon the Holy Spirit. Would you look very carefully at these two verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 2? They're verses that I think require a good bit of thought. Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now note that. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we've received, he's talking to those who are believers, Christians, we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. In other words, the only way we are really going to understand spiritual realities, spiritual truth, all these things Paul prayed for in Ephesians chapter 1 is by the Holy Spirit. That's why he began by praying that God give you the capital S, spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He's talking about the Holy Spirit giving us an increasing understanding of spiritual truth. The Holy Spirit is the great architect of our spiritual renewal. And he involves us in this process as we seek him and seek understanding. An increasing dependence upon the Holy Spirit through prayer characterizes the church and those who call River Oaks their church home. Is that true of you and me? Will it be this year? The Christian life is not a mere intellectual exercise in which we learn more facts about God and try real hard to, to obey the commands we learn of God and then walk in His ways. It's good to learn. It's good to be disciplined. But the Christian life is better understood as a life of trusting, dependence, reliance upon God, the Holy Spirit, to illumine us, to strengthen us, to guide us, to empower us, to fill us with His love. God has given us his Holy Spirit because we cannot live Christ-honoring lives in this world without him. That conforming current of the world that pulls us along 
is, is just too strong. We need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will lead us into a life of continual renewal and spiritual growth. And imagine what would happen in our church if that was a passion for each one of us this year. I'm excited about the year ahead. We look back in Scripture and see what happens when God's people turn to Him in prayer. We see accounts of great renewing, reviving works when God's people humble themselves, seek His face, turn to Him. And we see that in the history of the Christian church. Here in this area where we live, I'm talking about this part of North Carolina, Forsyth County and beyond. We, um, we have a degree of spiritual heritage that relates to renewal, to prayer. And what I'm talking about is history of the Moravian Church. Some of you are probably far more familiar with the Moravian Church than I. I did not grow up in the Moravian Church. Many of you, I'm sure, did. But I read a little book that is just a, a really interesting little book. I read it several years ago called Through 500 Years. It's a popular history of the Moravian Church written first in 1959, the copyright date, by Alan Schatzneider, Through 500 Years. And I was struck by the renewing work of the Holy Spirit that was done in the early years of the Moravian Church. This little book gives a history that... that uh, tells us of a man, young man, named Christian David, who lived among the persecuted people of Moravia. And in 1722, he met a man named Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, wealthy man with a, a large estate, and he allowed the persecuted Protestants to move there, to, to come and live on his property. And so a, a settlement began on this uh, place owned by Zinzendorf, and they begin to call it Hernhut. That's a picture of Hernhut that uh, Micah put up on the screen for us. What a, a beautiful, peaceful-looking, uh, more modern uh, picture of Hernhut. It was named that because it means the Lord's watch, referring to God's watchful care and protection. So these persecuted Protestants moved here into Hernhut and felt they had a safe place uh, by the gracious provision of Zinzendorf. But it soon became an unhappy place, different religious views, strife began. Zinzendorf, who was apparently a strong believer, in 1727 uh, called for a meeting of the settlers there. He spoke to them for three hours. He reminded them that they were on his land. He went house to house praying with each family, and he stressed that those who love the Savior should also love one another. In his writing, he said he determined to bring about, quote, this renewal, a renewing work among them. He writes, though I have to sacrifice my earthly possessions, my honor, and my life, I will do my utmost to see that this little flock of the Lord shall be preserved for him until he come. Soon, a great healing of divisions took place during a communion service at the local church. 
Followed after that, they began a, a custom of a simple meal at the church they called a love feast as an expression of Christian love, and these began to be widely celebrated for birthdays and other occasions. Shortly after this, the people began what became known as the hourly intercession. Some have called it the 100-year prayer meeting. One man and one woman was assigned to pray for every hour of the day and night. And Alan Schatzneider in his book, Through 500 Years, that says that this continued unbroken for 100 years. Now, I have to express, yeah, I said, wow, too, when I read it. And then I had to think about it a little bit and said, how in the world does he know it continued unbroken for 100 years? I'm sure some guy overslept. I'm sure somebody missed it. But it was a great effort, and I don't know of a better effort in all of history, put it that way. A 100-year prayer meeting, phenomenal, remarkable. And then in 1727, they experienced what they called the children's revival, tons of children coming to the Lord and devotion to the Lord. Many of them would be uh, missionaries and leaders of the church in future years. In 1731, Zinzendorf traveled to Denmark, and there he heard a man speak. He was a man who had been enslaved in the West Indies named Anthony, and he spoke of the horrific condition of the slaves there, how they knew nothing of God, and Zinzendorf felt called to invite Anthony to come to Hernhut and share what he had seen in the West Indies. And this resulted in a missions vision. Two young men from Hernhut felt a strong call from the Holy Spirit to go and be missionaries there. And Anthony said, if you go, it may be necessary to sell yourself into slavery to reach the slaves because they are not permitted to attend worship and teaching them is forbidden. And through great difficulties, they went. Great adversity. And over time, fruit began to come. Now, flowing out of all this prayer, a great missionary movement began in the Moravian church. And it went all over the world. And one place it went is very near and dear to our hearts here at River Oaks. 2007, 8, in that time, a team in our church began praying, and they prayed for about a year before settling on an unreached people group that we would pour our heart and prayer and resources into to get the gospel there. And it's a place in northern India called Kanar. And there were a couple of reasons we, our team felt drawn there. One was the family in our church felt called to go and live there, and they, and they did for a season. Uh, another was that they learned that Mar a couple of Moravian missionaries had been there and had been made to leave during, during uh, uh, one of the world wars and not allowed to return many, 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 many decades ago. But these Moravian missionaries went all over the world. 1753, a man came to this area, uh, Bishop Augustus Spangenberg, with a group of of people, group of Moravians, they had been allowed to settle upon uh, just under 99,000 acres in North Carolina, and they started the coast but came to a, uh, the fork uh, of Muddy Creek, and if you're driving up uh, 158 from Winston to Clemens today, you'll see a, a, a signpost, kind of a silver-colored plaque that... Uh, references this area when they came here and settled here. 
it seems to me that God chose this place where we live to be a place that at the very least has a heritage of prayer and world missions. But more importantly, when I look at Scripture, God's given us a spiritual heritage. Gospel has flowed to us from people who prayed and believed in world missions and sharing the gospel. What might he do through our church if we renewed our devotion to prayer as well as missions? Before we pray, I want to recommend three books to you since we are talking about prayer this month. You'll see some recommendations on the screen. The Praying Life by Paul Miller, I think is excellent. Praying Together by James Banks, fairly short book, excellent book. And Praying the Prayers of the Bible for Your Everyday Needs. Would you join me as we pray now? Father, would you do a work among us? that is greater than we can even ask or imagine according to the working of your power in us. I pray you do this in us as a church. I pray you do this among us as individuals. Lord, would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that we might know the great hope of your calling the glorious riches of your inheritance in the saints, in the exceeding greatness of your power toward us as believers. May this be the year we grow to know you better and love you more, as never before, Lord, in the name of Jesus. The beginning of this new year, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. If you need a communion cup and don't have one, simply raise your hand, and our ushers are bringing those around now. Please keep your hand up until they see it. I'll first read what the Apostle Paul said about this sacrament, this holy thing we call communion. He wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he gives a caution. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The Lord's Supper, at least in my opinion, is for those who have sincerely accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. All are welcome to take communion here today. You don't have to be a member of our church. But in light of Paul's words, I do think it's important that you have put your faith in Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. This is not a mere religious ritual. This is an expression of a personal faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ for you, for you. So would you join me as we pray? Father, we want to take a moment now to wait upon you so that we would take this holy thing we call communion in the right way in your eyes. You speak to us and prepare us, we ask in your great name.